thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Your family, your community, your country, your responsibility. Be the best citizen you can be. Find the Bill of Rights on leadersa.co.za. The Naked Scientist on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk with Reedy Clappy. Chris, good morning and welcome. Morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, we have a drug problem in South Africa and I'm sure we're not the only country in the world, but I'd be interested in hearing more about this and I'm sure so with the authorities. An anti-heroin vaccine? Vaccine? Yeah, very exciting. There's a paper, it's out in the journal PNAS this week by Joel Schlossberg and his colleagues. They're at the Scripps Institute in California. And what they produced in about 2011 and have now done some tests on to show that it can work is a vaccine that makes you make antibodies against heroin. So that if someone then injects heroin, it doesn't work. And where they see this being particularly useful is in people who are recovering drug addicts. We're not talking about preventing people necessarily becoming addicts in the first place. Although it could potentially work for that. But where most of the problems occur with drugs like heroin is that once people are addicted to them, the current therapies to help people to get off them are usually what are called replacement therapies or substitution therapies. You give people something like methadone, or another agent which stops some of the cravings but it leaves the person perfectly capable of relapsing. They could go and get some more heroin and inject it or smoke it. So what this will hopefully do is to provoke the production of antibody which circulates in the bloodstream and then if a person does put some heroin into their body it binds to the heroin molecules and stops them getting anywhere near the brain so that there is no pleasure from taking the drug And this breaks the cycle of addiction because uh, normally what happens is a person has a craving, they take some of the drug, the drug goes into their nervous system and produces an intense burst of pleasure secondary to the release of nerve transmitters. And this reinforces that behaviour, so they want to do it again and again and again. If you stop them getting any reward, they'll stop doing it. And they made this vaccine by taking the heroin molecule, linking it to a protein that's normally found in the blood of a certain limpet, called a keyhole limpet. And this is very immunogenic. It really makes the immune system respond strongly. And when they injected this into rats, the rats made very high levels of antibodies in their bloodstream. And if this was given to rats that had previously been addicted to an opiate like heroin, Mm. the animals then did not relapse and increase their drug taking again after they'd had the vaccine so it does look like it would work and similar strategies are being tested in humans for other drugs and so it should be a relatively simple jump to now try this in humans somebody wants to know with the winter season starting in in south africa we sit in our warm rooms with the heaters on the fireplace going and uh, she wants to know she grew up with her mother telling her that if you're staying in a warm room, that's where you must stay. You mustn't go outside because you get sick. And I know there's that widespread belief that it's a t- changing temperatures that make people sick. But I thought you, you got the cold from, from a virus and it doesn't matter where you are. 
Yes, you're right, Rudy. You don't get sick by getting cold. The misleading word is probably people saying, I've got a cold, and it creates this fallacious link in their mind between getting cold and catching a cold, a virus. So there is no association between that or even going out with wet hair. That said, if you do suffer from profound coldness, so you go and get hypothermia, for example, or you have a lot of changes of temperature, this can stress the system, and stress does lead to immunosuppression. It lowers your immunity and makes you more vulnerable to infection, but it doesn't cause infection. So there's, there's no, no truth that getting cold will cause a cold, but it might make you more vulnerable to catching one. All right, our lines are open for you on 021-446-0567-011-8830702. We are taking your SMSs as well on 31702 and 31567. The Naked Scientist is with us. What is it that you want to ask him? What is it that you want to talk about this morning? And uh, we, we, we're taking your calls, stripping science down to its bare essentials and satisfying your curiosity um, uh, about the world in which we live. 021 Chris, how do you check the purity of tap water? Because I know that uh, some people who are in the bottled water business are selling the bottled water on the premise that the tap water is no longer as pure as it used to be. Any any truth to that? And, and how, do you, how do you check uh, the, the, the cleanliness? Okay. Well, there are various regulatory bodies in different countries all around the world who set standards for what is allowable and what is not allowable in a sample of water for human consumption. And it, there's no such thing as pure water except water you buy for use in a laboratory which has been filtered down to within an inch of its life. So there, there literally cannot be anything in there um, apart from water molecules and some dissolved gases. This is not what comes out of the tap. What comes out of the tap is drinking water, not pure water. And drinking water means water which has been uh, taken from a reservoir and hopefully cleaned and filtered so that it is, has an acceptable standard of things in it, but it certainly has lots of other things dissolved in it. And these include salts like calcium salts and sodium and potassium, chloride ions, so lots of salts at, at low concentration, admittedly. But it, what it shouldn't have is pathogens in it. Now, there may well be some algae in there, um, particles of little microscopic green plants. There may be some other particles and things that, that are harmless to people, but nonetheless are in there. But there should not be pathogenic bacteria, there should not be viruses, and there should not be toxic things like heavy metals. So cadmiums and arsenics and that kind of thing. Those salts are tested for, so a sample of water should be periodically drawn off from a water supply and sent to a chemist in a laboratory, and they can run... Chemical, chemical tests on water in order to determine what's in there and there will be defined safe levels for things like lead and zinc and that kind of stuff and if they pick up a spike coming up in the water of one of those chemicals then they uh, in, in many countries have the power to say stop supplying this water there's something contaminating it so there, there usually is a watchdog who will keep an eye on what's coming out of the tap and they'll continuously be analysing it and they'll be making sure that what is coming out of the tap is within what we regard as safe limits. In other words, that they don't, any mm. of the chemicals in there do not breach a certain threshold level. All right, let's go straight to the lines. Errol in Mildestrift. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Rudy. 
I just wanted to ask the question, why solar panels have to be laid at an, an angle and, and uh, could they not be laid flat? Uh, let's say, for instance, you wanted to put over the patio or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Hello, Errol. Are you meaning the kind of panels that make hot water or photovoltaics water. that make electricity? Okay. Something like that, yes. Yeah, well, they're very good and mm. um, very simple too and relatively cheap compared to the high cost of the photovoltaics that make electricity. Usually the reason for putting them at an angle is to catch more sunlight because if you live at high latitudes, like I do, then the sun angle means that you can you can end up with better incident inputs to the panel by having it sort of propped up at an angle, maybe 45 degrees. Um, when you do that, you pump the water in at the bottom, it flows up through the panel as a thin sort of film or sandwich of water flows out at the top again and goes back into your swimming pool or into your house hot water tank also most roofs are at an angle people don't necessarily live in houses with flat roofs so it makes sense to to put the panel at an angle there is no reason though why you couldn't put them completely flat on the ground and run the water through them as a thin sandwich that way. If, if it got enough sunlight, you'd be fine by that. Thing is, if you put them flat, they also will cast a big shadow on the thing that's underneath them. And if you put them on the ground, people might walk on them. So most people tend to put these panels up on a, a surface somewhere, and they have to angle them to get the most sunlight. Thank you very much, uh, Errol. In Mildestrift, Barris in Bloberg's Grand Tie. Morning, Chris. Morning. Um, you know, I was driving to town the other morning, and it was pretty dark. And I was looking at the, the Cape Town city lights, and I noticed that they were flickering. And I looked up at the stars, and I thought, well, they are pretty constant in the in the, in the intensity. And I thought, is it the the, um, the way they generated it, the frequency, or is it the colour of the light, which from any origin has an influence on that flickering? That makes it flicker at night. Okay. Yes. Chris. Hello, Barris. The reason that lights flicker whether it's stars or city lights, is because the light is coming through air between you and the light, which is of different densities. So let me just explain. I don't know why the stars that you were seeing weren't flickering, but maybe the stars were not subjected to coming through the same air as the city lights. Because when you put light through air, which is at different temperatures then the air, if it's at different temperatures, has different densities, and when light goes through air with different densities, it changes its speed. So light going through air that's less dense will speed up momentarily until it hits a patch of denser air, and then it will slow down again. And every time light speeds up and slows down in this way, it bends a little bit. And this is why, when you look over the top of a a campfire, for example, at the person or the trees or whatever behind the fire, they all appear, appear to be shimmering, because the light coming through the hot gases above the bonfire, or the campfire, Uh, is speeding up and slowing down and bending its course. I suspect that when you were looking over the city, because cities produce quite a bit of heat and aircon units and that kind of thing, there's a lot of thermals rising over the city and also buildings have soaked up hot sun during the day and they're now radiating that heat back off and, and warming up some of the air. It could be that that was what was making the lights flicker and because the stars were coming through a different patch of air further over over the bush, for example, maybe there was a less profound effect. It's unlikely that you would see the lights flickering if it was because of generator frequency, because mains electricity is at, at about 50 hertz. And this means that the lights are flickering on and off 100 times a second. And this is far too fast for your brain to perceive. So it's unlikely that you are perceiving that. Let's go to, um, is it Valeria in Parktown? Good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Lady and Chris. I've got a question. A friend of mine, uh, she's in her 50s, and um, the one morning she woke up and her left 
hands, all the fingertips, so everything under the nails was bruised. And she's gone to a few doctors and nobody can really give her an answer as to what happened. There was no sleepwalking. She hadn't bumped her hand on anything. Just every single fingernail underneath was bruised. Ooh. I don't know what the answer to that one is. Uh, uh, if you have a, if you physically have a bruise, then yeah. you've, you've almost certainly had some trauma. In other yeah. words, something has bashed the hand. There yeah. are some disorders that will lead to a sort of thing that looks a bit like a bruise, but it it's usually little dots or um, little so-called splinter hemorrhages that happen under the nails, where, and that's where mm -hmm. blood vessels get damaged. But for every single finger tip like that to be bruised strongly suggests there's some kind of trauma going on. Was it actually painful for her? Uh, she says they were sensitive, but not mm. painful as such. And it was she literally woke up in the morning and her fingernails were purple. Hmm. Very strange. I mean, one possibility is that some kind of, there was some source of, of um, well, I, I don't know if she's been taking something that would make her bleed and she's perhaps bashed her hand because some people who are on blood thinning agents, you don't have to, t to traumatise tissue very much to trigger mm. a little bit of bleeding and those sorts of so-called sub-ungal under the, under the nail hemorrhages can occur more commonly in people who are on drugs to thin the blood a bit. Um, but in the absence of that, I'm, I must admit, I'm, I'm at a loss to explain what could do that. Does she sleepwalk? <laughs> no, no, none of that. I'll have a think about it, but I'm really sorry. I don't think I can no. answer that one. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Chris, you've started something, sleepwalking, the science behind it. Uh, I, I haven't started sleepwalking, thankfully. <laughs> uh, you don't know. <laughs> uh, why did I did I come and pest you again? Did I do that in this time as well? <laughs> so what goes on when we sleepwalk? Those who do well, um, it's really hard to know exactly because people are quite hard to study. But what we think is happening when we're sleepwalking is that there is a patch of the brain in your brain stem which connects your spinal cord to the top part of your brain. And in the brain stem is a, is a, a nerve region called the locus ceruleus. And this is active when we dream. And next door to it is another region which turns off the flow of information going to your muscles out of your brain. And it's supposed to paralyze you when you're sleeping so that you don't act out your dreams. And in some people, for some reason, some, some of the time, this region does not properly switch off the, the um, movement information coming out of the brain when we dream. And as a result, you end up wandering around even though you're asleep because you're effectively taking part in, as an actor, your own dreams. And we think that's what sleepwalking is. I've got an SMS here about uh, bipolar. Uh, what is bipolar? Can it be cured? And uh, my follow-up question to that would be, um, does it only manifest itself when you are older? Is it possible to detect the, the chemical imbalance or whatever the cause is uh, in, in, in utero even? Bipolar disorder used to be known colloquially as manic depression. And this is a genetic condition, actually. About 1% of the population has this, and it strongly runs in families. So if you have a first-degree relative, like a mum or a dad, who has this, then you have an above-average chance that it could affect you too. And people who have this, in some cases, they just exist in a perpetually manic phase, and some people do cycle between phases of being exquisitely depressed, and then they get very high. And what we mean by high is that they'll go through periods where they don't take much sleep, 
they feel an intense urgency to do lots of things, they talk lots, they might not go to bed for three or four days, they may become extremely profligate with money, they might spend a fortune mm. um, on things that they don't need, and they have no insight into the fact that this is going on, they don't realise that, that this behaviour is out of keeping for what would be called normal. And luckily, this condition can be quite well controlled with the right drugs and in the right hands. It's a very hard condition to control well, and people frequently do have relapses, but there are various drugs that can be used as so-called mood stabilisers, and one of those includes the drug lithium. You can also use um, various other agents, including one called valproic acid, which is also used to treat epilepsy, but it can control mood in some people and help people to feel a lot better. But it is quite destructive to people's lives, and because we know some of the genes that are linked to it, it may be possible in the future to do prenatal diagnosis, but at the moment you can't mm. cure it. But if you know someone is at risk of it, from an early age, and, and with, as with all mental conditions, if you intervene early in their disease course, you usually get the best outcome and people stay the, the well for longer and tend to get less severe symptoms than if a disease becomes entrenched. It tends to have its onset in late teens, early 20s. It's less likely uh, it, it'll come on in later life. You, there are some disorders that come on in later life, but they're probably slightly different. Let's go to Kevin in Mildestrift. Good morning to you, Kevin. Hi. I was in the mountains the other day um, for the weekend and noticed while I was sitting on the veranda of the cellar that as the sun went down, I could hear the, the, the river and the waterfall, which is reasonably close by, but you can't see it. And yet in the, in the middle of the afternoon, in the middle of the day, you don't, you don't seem to hear that. Why, why is that? Sound is louder, you so say? So wh why does sound travel to you at some times and not yeah. others? Well, Kevin, sound is a compression wave. So if you imagine, have you ever seen those toys that are like a, a slinky spring? They're a spring and you can dangle them over the step and then it sort of goes from one step down to the next step and then flips over and carries on going down like a waterfall down the stairs. Have you seen one of those? He's, he's gone. Uh, oh, okay. Well, down, what yeah? you can do is if you stretch out one of those slinky springs, if you pull a few of the coils towards yourself and then let them go, you see this wave go along the length of the spring, bounce off the end and come back. So it's a, a longitudinal wave. And that's exactly what sound is. So when something makes a sound, it's compressing the air near it a little bit. And the molecules of air move around and they bash into the molecules of air next door uh, a bit. And then they bash into the molecules of air next door a bit. And this propagates the sound towards you. And that means that you need air there in order to be able to hear the sound. And you need something, you, you need that air not to be moving too fast because otherwise the m movement will be lost. So if you have a particularly windy environment, then you may find that sound gets blown away quite literally because you can't transmit those vibrations through the air towards you. And it may be that over the course of the day, the wind has changed direction or owing to thermal heating from the sun of the ground during the day, you've got uh, a breeze has come up and also the air being um, more or less dense will make a difference and this will affect the propagation of sound because things, things that are denser will transmit the sound better than things that are less dense, for example. Frank in Randburg. Good morning. Morning. Um, hi, Chris. Thank you very Hello, much for your show. I enjoyed it a lot. I was just wondering if you could tell me how uh, lipo, laser liposuction works or the theory behind it. 
Hello, Frank. Um, having never had laser liposuction, uh, <laughs> like I, you need I, it. I can't comment on it personally. I mean, Reedy, what was it like? <laughs> Chris, I'm going to kill you. Sorry, I let your secret. I'm not just kidding. Reedy is very slim and svelte, and she does not need any liposuction. Um, not at I, the I don't moment. Actually know, I don't know exactly what is involved in doing it with a laser, but traditional liposuction, what they do is pretty horrendous. It just looks terrible when you see this happening, but you open up a gap in the skin and you put a probe in and you are effectively swiping this probe backwards and forwards through the skin, jetting in uh, a, f a flow of fluid, saline solution, and... Uh, a vacuum is also applied to this probe which has a sort of sharp end and you are sweeping through the fat tissue which sits in the um, subcutaneous fat layer and you break apart the fat tissue and it gets sucked up the probe. I wonder whether doing it with a laser what you're doing is you are putting short intense bursts of laser energy onto the fat tissue. This is um, vaporising the fat and then you withdraw the vaporised fat up the, the um, laser probe just just by having a, a stream of again fluid or um, gas going through and and I suspect it's probably a bit less traumatic than doing it the the old-fashioned brutal way because it leaves mm. people very bruised for a really long time doing it the old-fashioned way so I'd, I'd have to have a look and check exactly how it works but I suspect it's probably something like that in the same way as we do laser diathermy to, to cut through through skin and do incisions and um, minor surgery for example mm -hmm. Chris I can't believe we've come to the end of the show I know that there were some stories from last week uh, that we needed to, to, to report back on can we do that next week? Yeah, let's do that because I've got a friend of mine on the random number thing because that's a really profound question, the how do we know a, a number's really random. So I've got some mathematicians on that for me, so we'll hopefully have an answer on that one. I've still got this thing for Trevor. I, I need to try and get a decoder to understand the file format that this person sent me this answer on bits of ear uh, and flaps of ear material in animals. And there's a really nice tweet just come in to at Naked Scientist from Yusuf who, who wants to know about um, shampoo and you have nice coloured shampoo but the bubbles are always white why is that that's a lovely question <laughs> oh, maybe we could stunning. kick off with that next week beautiful and uh here's somebody on twitter calling you the nude scientist i kind of like that they please ask the nude scientist chris we'll chat to you then next week all right thanks really have bye a good bye. weekend everyone bye-bye thinking about your next career move in research and development then it's time to make your move to the uk the nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.